Good day, friends. This is Ray Kozek, the pastor at St. Paul's. You're listening to Jesus in the Center, one year Bible podcast. Today is day number 42. Our scripture texts today come from Exodus 32 and 33 and Matthew 26 and 27. Moses has been up on the mountain and he finally comes down after 40 days on the mountain. He comes down with the two tablets of the testimony. How much of that covenant is written on there. We don't know, but we know it's written by the finger of God. He comes down from God, God's presence to his people, and he comes down to the people who are not acting as God's people. Up on the mountain, God showed Moses the the tabernacle that would be built after the pattern in heaven, and he told Moses how you will collect all these things for the tabernacle, gold and silver and, and so on, bronze and the cloths and all these things so that you can make this tabernacle, so that you can have true worship. It'll be a place where I will atone for your sins. Well, as Moses comes down the mountain, there is great need for atonement because the people have been making a collection, but it's not a collection for Yahweh and his temple. In fact, they lose heart. They lose faith. They think that Moses is gone. They don't know how long he's going to be up on the mountain. I mean, six weeks. That's as much time as it's been since they left. That's probably about as much time as it was since they left Egypt. And then Moses has been up on the mountain that same amount of time. They, they just think he's gone. They, they look back to the comfort of whatever religion they had. Now they were God's people, but we can see here that their understanding is still mixed. They, they said all that God said we will do and part of that the Lord said I will be your God and you shall not make any graven images to worship me you do not need that now graven images are not bad in themselves as we can see from the tabernacle it's full of of images both two-dimensional and three-dimensional remember the cherubim on top of the the ark of the covenant the mercy seat well that's those are three-dimensional things that God said make these after the pattern in heaven these cherubim who are always looking towards the mercy of God and to the presence of God, but you're not to make an Im- not to make an image of God Himself. But that's exactly what the people are doing when Moses is up on the mountain. So you likely read this: the whole story of the golden calves and Aaron going along with it. The people wanting some control, they build this golden calf. It's probably made out of wood and wrapped with gold, uh, which is why later Moses can burn it. And it's probably. It's probably the Egyptian god named Apis, which was like a sacred bull. And that's, you know, remember the Exodus account? One of the plagues was included the firstborn of the livestock. And that is probably why, because they worshipped the, the bulls, they would, the, the calves. They would take them into, the, the Egyptians would take them into their own places of worship and have them there as objects of worship. And so... That's what the people have succumbed to. And they try to have it both ways. They they say, uh, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They think that Yahweh can be shaped as this this calf, this golden calf, this bull that, that was like the Egyptian gods. And Aaron goes along with it. He says, it says when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Another way to say that or to translate that is when Aaron feared this. In other words, he saw and feared all that the people had done, and he's afraid of the people. He goes along with it, and he he says, okay, let's sanctify this 
Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So the people are so mistaken and they say it is this God that we can shape and, and see and control. This is the God that has brought us out of Egypt, not this Yahweh that we can't see. And Aaron, of all people, goes along with it and makes a feast. And this feast will be out of control. It, it says they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The NIV has this, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Again, check out 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul uses this text as an example of what not to do as Christians. Don't do this. Well, it sounds, at least the ESV where it says they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Well, what's wrong with that? Sitting down, it's like going to school. You sit down and then you go, you have lunch, and then you go out for recess. That is not what Moses is writing about here. This is not what the people have done. They are engaged in in a worship that includes sexuality and includes revelry, includes drinking. Later on, it says uh, it includes like adultery or whoring after these gods. So it's it's not a good thing. So Moses comes down and. Well, even before he comes down, the Lord had said to Moses, Go down for, get this, your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. There's this change between God saying, These are my people, and God telling Moses, Your people. And God is almost, he's testing Moses. It's almost like he's saying, They're not my people anymore. You can have them. And verse 9, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. So he's not owning them, that they are a stiff-necked people. He's giving them up to Moses. He doesn't want them anymore because they have sold themselves out, right? Remember, God is a jealous God. He will not be married to people who have another husband. He's just not going to do it. Look at verse 11. This is really important. And three times in the next, four times in the next few chapters, Moses will intercede before God. He will, he will pray to God for the people. And I think it's a great example for us that we, in whatever simple words we want to use, talk to God, cry out to God for the sake of our loved ones, for our own people, those in our family and those in our extended family, those in our community that we work with, pray for them. We see Moses doing that here. He cries out and says, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Well, he knows why God is angry. But he says, says, if you just let them go, the Egyptians will say, well, God did evil to them in bringing them out. Now he's consumed them from the face of the earth. And, and so Moses asked God to act. And I circled the verbs, turn from your burning anger, relent from this disaster. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said, I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And then it says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on, get this, on his people. I don't understand this, but somehow the intercession of Moses, it turns God back to his promises and God takes them back as his people. Now, God was probably planning to do this all along. We know that because of his promises, but notice this. Does, well, let me just say this. Moses and God and God's this people, have they've just made a covenant, what we call the Mosaic Covenant, you know, chapters 20 to 23. 
that starts with the Ten Commandments and then all the civil code and the the, um, the religious code. The people said, "I'll we'll do this," but the people instantly don't do it. They're worshiping another god, and so how do they get? How, what on what basis does Moses plea for for God's people? Does he say, God, we just made a covenant. You just made a covenant with these, your people. No, he skips that whole covenant that they just made, just ratified. And he goes back to the earlier covenant. Because Moses even knows that this covenant is conditional. The one that, that God had just made with, with his people, it's, it's, it's conditioned on the people doing it. And they haven't done it. So he goes back to the unconditional promise, the unconditional covenant. So he says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and he doesn't say Jacob, he says Israel. That, that's the new name for Jacob when he wrestled with God. And so Moses turns God's attention as, you know, this is all speaking in, as if God didn't know, right? But it's this test that Moses goes through. And Moses should do, Moses does what we should do, which is, is to call on God's promises, God's unconditional promises to save his people. He doesn't look at how how good, potentially good, the people could be or ought to be or anything. He turns them back to God's promises. And the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel or Jacob, they're unconditional. God said, I will do this and I will bring you into this land and I will bring the, the Redeemer, the seed of the woman to crush the serpent's head going back to Genesis 3:15. All right, so anyway, there's we see Aaron uh once Moses comes down, he smashes the the books of the covenant, this uh, the stones that God had written on. He smashes them because it's the people have smashed their part of the deal. And then Aaron is called to account and he he just makes excuses he said you know the people that they are set on evil he blames them and then he lies or well he lies and he says that uh, look I threw all this gold into the fire and out came this calf so one either he's lying just straight up lying which is what I think or two there have been the evil work, the evil magic going on, because that's what they're calling on is this black magic, and which has limited power. We saw the magicians of Egypt do just a little bit, uh, you know, copying what God had done. And so perhaps maybe a golden calf did pop out of the fire. Could, could demons do that perhaps? And so I don't know. Aaron, Aaron is, is in a bad spot. Did this strike you as, as hard when Moses brings discipline and says, who's on the Lord's side, come to me. And they, they say, if anyone's going to continue in trying to have the golden calf and these Egyptian gods and Yahweh, we're going to put them to death. Did that strike you as something hard to hear, hard to read? It, it did me. And you would think, who would be first in line to get struck down? It should be Aaron. It, but it's not. Rather, it's 3,000 of the, the whole, all the tribes, right? And it's done by the Levites. The Levites say, we are on the Lord's side. We will be for Yahweh alone. So as they're going through, and there's this, this massacre, 3,000 people, which is kind of like the opposite of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 are saved. Here, 3,000 are put to death. Now, 
they must have been given an opportunity to repent because Aaron's not put to death and many others are not put to death. But 3,000 are persisting in that God, that golden calf, uh, that um, the bull of Egypt, that's my God. And so 3,000 are put to death. And why, why is that? It sounds so brutal. It seems so hate, hateful. And yeah, it is. God wants to have a people who, who respect his lordship, that he is God alone, and that there will not be many, many gods. And so they go through, and as a consequence for their great sin, uh, they, they are put to death. I believe do, they do have an opportunity to repent, but uh, many would not. All right, well, Moses knows that the people need, that they have sinned a great sin and that they need atonement. And so he says, I'm going to go back up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And we just see this a couple of different times uh, that he does this, that he, he's praying to the Lord. This is interesting that I caught, that I, I've never really caught this before as I was paying attention to it. The Lord is so fed up with them as far as, you know, because of the, their their worship of the other gods. And so he says, this is chapter 33, I will not go up among you. Verse. This is verse 3. I will not go among, up among you when you go to the land where there's the Canaanites and the Amorites and all that. Uh, earlier in verse 2 he said, but I will send an angel before you. He had already said this in chapter 23. Behold, I send my, my angel or my messenger before your face. And this is quoted uh, in Mark chapter one, it, it's kind of it's hard to see um, in English, but it, it's the same thing. So God says, "I won't go up among you, but I will send an angel or the angel." And we can read this likely as this is Christ. Later, he refers to it as, "My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." So God, in His glory, is not going to be with the people, but He will send an intermediary. Here, it's called an angel, and I believe it is the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is also this whole episode of of God showing his glory to Moses. I think I'll pick that up for tomorrow uh, because it ties into the next chapter, chapter 34. All right, well, thank you for hanging in on that. Let's take a look over at Matthew chapter 26 and 27. We know this story pretty well. Peter denies Jesus. Here, Peter is faithful. He's courageous in a sense, and yet he's so cowardly maybe like us, he's outside the courtyard of of the place where Jesus is under trial by the Sanhedrin. So he's out there in this, it's a government headquarter outside the, the temple, and inside Jesus is on trial. Jesus has just been, been said that he has been committing blasphemy, and so he deserves death. And, and what is this for? He, he answered, yes, you have said so. Uh, when they asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of of God and he says yes and they say well that's blasphemy and you know in itself it's not blasphemy to say I am the Christ what's what they thought it was blasphemous is because and this is not right there in this text it's it's not possible that this man Jesus could be the Messiah because we already know he's broken the Sabbath we already know that he's made himself equal to God but those things if he is the Messiah he's he is greater than the Sabbath if he is the Messiah he could be who God says he is. Uh, Psalm 110.1 that Jesus quoted, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put all your enemies underneath your feet. Jesus is himself God, but of course they can't see this. All right, so now we get to Peter sitting out there. And three times he says, I don't know what you mean when they say you're one of them. I don't know the man. He swears with an oath. He inv invokes a curse on himself 
and he swears, I do not know the man. Three times. How could he do this? Didn't he know that Jesus would say that he would do this? He's in a hard spot. He is driven along by his fear. And right then, in this lowest moment of his life, the rooster crowed, just as Jesus said. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So we have three goings out here, or three, well, goings and comings. We have Peter going out. He goes out in great grief, weeping bitterly. And then chapter 27 starts, and it says, When morning came, they took Jesus out. They took Jesus out bound bound up, and they led him away over to Pilate, the governor. So they've already conspired, said, this is, this is his verdict. He's going to get death. But because of their own rules, they couldn't yet, uh, during the night hours, officially make a statement that says, uh, he's guilty. They had to wait until morning. So as soon as it became light, then they said, okay, he's guilty. Like they weren't supposed to have a trial at night, but just to kind of keep their rules, they're going to wait till morning to say guilty. Let's let's put him to death. Let's get permission from the governor or uh, in, in Latin, the prefect. So they bound him and took him out. So that's the going out. So Peter goes out, Jesus goes out, and then one comes back in. That same area, that same place where they were meeting, uh, the in came in comes Judas. Uh, Judas comes. He's the betrayer. Uh, he's the one who condemned Jesus. And it says that he changed his mind. In the NIV, it says he was seized with remorse. Did it did it say that he repented? No. It says that he was seized with remorse. He he regretted what he had done. That he had sold the identity, the place of Jesus for thirty pieces of silver. And so he takes it in and says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He confesses his sin. And these chief priests and the elders, they say, well, what is that to us? See to it yourself. This is horrible, isn't it? Religious leaders, people in the line of of the Jews and the Christians, when a man or a woman confesses their sin, we are not, I'm thinking of myself as, as a pastor, if someone came and said to me, I have sinned greatly, and I said to them, well, what is that to me? See to it yourself. How does one see to it themselves? To do that is only to give someone up to despair, and we see that here exactly with Judas. He couldn't see to it himself. He knows that he is guilty. He knows that betraying someone in this manner is guilty of death and so he tries to carry out the sentence himself on himself he puts himself to death he has lost all hope now what a difference we'll see between peter and judas both had remorse both had regret and there's one thing that that judas lacked the same thing that saul lacked and that is with the regret with the remorse he lacks faith lutherans will define repentance as having two parts the contrition or the the sorrow the sadness the wanting to do better that whole part that's the one part the other part is faith believing that god is good believing that god is merciful and forgiving and that god has brought an atonement for christians for us now we know that that atonement is jesus 
So it takes both. It can't just be like, I'm really sorry. I really did a bad thing. That's only part of it. That leads you to despair. But real repentance also believes that God is gracious and that God wants to forgive, that God forgives. Now, we might think of those, our loved ones, that have, have died by their own hand, have committed suicide, and we wonder, is there hope for them? And we return to God's mercy. We don't know. We don't know, but we do know God's promises are true and, and faithful. Martin Luther dealt with this, and it's in the Martin Luther movie, the, the most recent one. And there's a, a boy who kills himself. And from Luther's writings, we can see that he believed about suicide, that, that it sometimes could be described as a man in the woods being overtaken by a robber. So it is with someone who dies by their own hand. They are overtaken uh, they are ridden, he says, they are ridden by the devil. And they may still be God's child, they're just overcome. We don't have answers about Judas. We do know that he was, uh, it says it would be better for him not to be born than to betray the Lord. So we'll leave his destiny to uh, to our Lord. But how sad, how sad is that? Well, Jesus ends up, at the prefect's house after this interlude with Judas. And he, he arrives bound up, and Pilate just right away asks him, Hey, are you the king of the Jews, as they say? And he answers, You have said so. And then those who were there, they accuse him in many different ways. What would it mean to be the king of the Jews? Why would that, why would that get you killed? Right? Of course there's an heir to the throne of David. That was promised to... Romans would have known that, so to be in that line wouldn't automatically get you killed. You have no power, but yeah, you might be descended from King David. Good for you. There are many who are descended from King David. Are you the the rightful heir? Fine, but you can't have his throne. His throne does not exist. So they try to get more things back to the kind of things they said, you know, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? All those things. They would try to make him guilty, but Jesus does not answer a word. And this, this is in line with Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, and I'll finish today by reading this. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. So we see that Jesus is the ultimate sheep led to the slaughter. He will answer, are you the Christ, the Son of God? Yes, he did say. Are you the King of the Jews? Yes. But he will not give in an answer more than that. He will leave it to God's mysterious will that he came to suffer and die. And knowing that he, as again it says in Isaiah 53, um, chapter Isaiah 53, verse 11, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Jesus knows that what he's come to do is greater than bringing an earthly kingdom. It is to, to bear the sins, the iniquities of all. And he'll do that now by keeping his mouth closed and, and taking the, the punishment that will come. For, for us. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.